Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John. And Kyle. I'm a U.S. Marine, and the opinions expressed on the cast are my own, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by me are also my own, not those of my employer or any other businesses I happen to be associated with. For today's episode, we're joined by special guest Brett Friedman. Brett, thanks so much for coming on the cast. Could you give us a quick intro? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm a retired Marine. Uh, I did uh, uh, five years enlisted in the reserve uh, and 10 years on the active side as a field artillery officer and then a few more years in the reserve just to round it out uh, and retired uh, earlier this month. Uh, I'm a military analyst in the civilian world by trade, uh, write a lot of reports, uh, do a lot of research that gets set up and not necessarily read, but they are submitted. Uh, and I also write books on the side and we're here to talk about a couple of those today and appreciate you having me on. Uh, I also do not represent my employers or clients or, uh, the government. Excellent. Awesome. Th- thank you for that lead in. So dear listeners, we, we are at now 69 episodes on the cast and just to give you an idea, that is a mammoth amount of material to comb through for Kyle and I and, and Rich, uh, but, and we've gotten really, really good at skimming through and looking down and whatever. When I started reading on operations, I could not stop and went cover to cover. So I have an awful lot of, of thoughts on both of this. But before we get into to kind of the nitty gritty and whatever, and we'll start with the first book on tactics. Before we get deep into this stuff, Brett, what made you want to write a book? You know, why, why, does, why does somebody sit down and say, I'm going to write about tactics? And, and who do you write this book for? All right. Well, I'll start with uh, talking about theory a little bit uh, and the purpose specifically of military theory, um, because that's what these books are. Um, I found even as far back as when I was a, a PFC going through a school of infantry at Camp Lejeune in 2000, I was a mortarman. Um, the training was very do this, do that, you know, unlo- unload the ammo, put it there, put this number on the bubbles, drop the round. There was no context whatsoever. There was no, this is why you do this. This is how the mortars fit into the grander scheme of things. Even when I got to uh, my first unit, I was in an 81's platoon. uh, So supporting the battalion. Um, I I felt like I needed more than just, hey, this is what you're going to go do. Um, And as I went on in my career, I did, you know, I did a lot of self-studying. I was... Uh, a military history major doing a lot of reading too. Uh, and then I was in Iraq and uh, going through a library there uh, just cause to pass the time. And I picked up uh, the uh, American way of war by uh, Wigley, Russell Wigley. And that was the first book that was like theory focused. And I was hooked from then on. Uh, so I was, after that, I just started almost exclusively reading theory and uh, thinking this is what I needed to wrap my head around what was going on. This is the context I needed. Um, so eventually, uh, you know, I decided I've got some opinions about it. And uh, uh, I had already written uh, 21st Century Ellis, um, which was not mostly Ellis himself, not so much me. Um, but I edited it and published it. And I asked the publisher, like, hey, if I wrote something about tactics, like a tactical theory. Would you be interested? And they were like, as long as you write the whole thing first, we'll take it on spec, which is uh, basically like, 
I'll look at it when it's done. If you actually think you can pull it off. Um, the old low risk option. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, low risk option for them. Um, and, uh, we managed to pull it off. Uh, and I, I think, uh, when theory, a lot of people shut down when they talk about theory, they're like, this is impractical. Uh, it can't tell me what to do in my job. And that's true, but it's also not supposed to do that. Um, so I think the best example right now and for your audience is uh, Expeditionary Advanced Base Operations and Standard Forces. Uh, so in 2016, I was at McWill, and these ideas were being worked on. They weren't even named yet. Uh, but they were already being worked on when I got there. I didn't think of them. Uh, I just joined the team that, were, that was working on them. And uh, as, we, as we're looking at it, and they're explaining it to me, and I'm kind of looking at what this is, uh, it, it really is a, an application of Clausewitz's theory that the defense is stronger. Uh, and I know you talked about this with Olivia in her episode. Um, but the idea of both of those concepts is that if you can get far enough forward, fast enough and early enough, you can take advantage of the strength of the defense for offensive reasons because you're so far forward you can secure that sea control and let the Navy come in and exploit that sea control and do something of a more offensive nature. Uh, so a lot of people are skeptical about theory. And I, I think having such a uh, uh, direct application to it, to what the Marine Corps is doing now is a good example of what it's for. Uh, so then talk about uh, on tactics if you want. Yeah, and so there, there's a couple things I want to highlight here and and ask a follow up question quickly. So if I heard you correctly, give or take the audience for this is Lance Corporal, you you're, you're sitting there and you're like, hey, uh, pull this like that, this many rounds, this many things on order, and you're like, but why? So so give or take, this yeah. is for Lance Corporal, you, and then you know obviously the the leaders of those those Marines who are kind of asking the the bigger picture, like in, in the big map of war, where's my, you are here and I need to go here. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, originally I wrote it for NCOs, company grade officers that uh, really do need that context in order to do their jobs. Um, but then I, you know, as I worked with more millennials, they seem to really need that context that why are we doing this thing? And I think theory can fill that gap for us. For a long time, we didn't feel like we needed it. Uh, we had a very industrial mindset. Uh, SOI was pretty much push everybody through, you know, get them trained and get them out there. Uh, and, but I think th if we leaned on theory to really get millennials focused and train them, and I know SOI is a lot different these days, uh, that's an opportunity for the Marine Corps, I think. I'll also add in that through my work in the outside world now for um, we're approaching 10 years now, which is starting to make me feel even older than I think I already am. I have found that just about any training material that is focused at the NCO level is ideal for civilian and corporate leadership, right? And you obviously have to find or replace machine gun with, you know, a TPS report just to be super on the nose about it. That, that stuff is incredible. And as I've had to hire a ton of people, I've noticed the sort of trends and the, you know, 
younger folks who are coming into the workforce these days. And I, I hate to sort of bulk in the millennial construct, but there is a significant power in being able to share with folks, this is why you're doing this thing, right? It's not just shut up and color. It's like, here's the entire paint by number that we're trying to do. And yes, I do need you to color this very small section down here on the bottom, but this is why it's because, you know, you're coloring a tire in this giant 18 wheeler that we're trying to depict. And that's a terrible metaphor again, but there is immense value for anyone listening here in learning how to manage all sorts of different personality types and age demographics in a lot of ways. And for any senior officers listening, the NCO training manuals are thebomb.com. All of the basic like corporal's course and sergeant's course material is thebomb.com for training people to be successful in the outside world. Yeah. And, and one thing I want to add too is you, not everybody necessarily thinks this way because I was definitely in school. I will leave the names of the not so innocent out of this, but I was definitely in school when a company grade officer told me, or I guess I asked him like, dude, you're telling your Marines why you're doing this stuff, right? And just looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, dude, the only thing they need to know is they're doing this because I told them to do it. And I was like, ooh. And there were several other people in the room like nodding, like, why would, why would you tell them yeah. that? And it was like, ooh, okay, okay. Like re- yeah, reset, it, I, I, guess, yeah. I guess not everybody thinks like this, noted. And apparently not everybody writes like this. Um, so Brett, you re- wrote a bunch of things in both of these books that kind of help really made me challenge the way I think about things. And one of the things you mentioned, which I think very much goes into this segment here we're talking about was TTPs. And you wrote about how TTPs, just putting them together like that are doing a disservice. Could you go another layer deeper for us and say, like, why do you feel that way? And, and how can this help our listeners think through this? Yeah, I think they, they, when they get lumped together in an acronym like TTPs, then they just get lumped together like they're all the same thing. And tactics, at least to me, tactics and techniques and procedures are three different things each are more specific than the last. Like tactics should be a little bit more uh, general, a little bit more flexible, a little bit more about helping you think, not answering, or helping you ask the right questions, not necessarily giving you the answers. Techniques, probably a little bit more about answers and procedures definitely need a lot more answers. Uh, So I think that's what we're doing the disservice on. We're not uh, offering tactics as kind of a way to think about things because we're just lumping them in with uh, techniques and procedures uh, in the art- This made a lot of sense to me as an artillery officer, because you've got the fire support coordination. There's very much an art to it. And it's a little bit more tactics, uh, a little bit more thinking through things. And then there's the technical fire direction, which is how you're going to get the round on the target. That's all math. That's not tactics. That's procedures because it's defined physics and math. So you need to be able to do both in the appropriate time and space. So Brett, are you, are you um, advocating for taking the T, shifting it to the left and taking the TP and shifting it to the right and considering very, very different? Yes. And even doctrine is something very similar, but a little, probably a little less prescriptive than the techniques and procedures, but more prescriptive than tactics. uh, If I can pronounce it. Um, and, you know, that's that was me trying to figure out all these different things rather than just being told. So, Brett, can I ask a silly question as the outside person who's not wearing the uniform anymore? And uh, I guess John being the only one remaining on the call who is at the moment. 
when we think of tactics, right, that word is loaded. It's loaded in a lot of ways and for a lot of reasons and for a lot of people. And I think that we get lost in the weeds sometimes about what that actually means, right? Like there is tactical, you know, having the tactical mindset. But when you're talking about a tactic on how you're going to win a battle or an engagement or a negotiation or a conversation, I think we get mired in that. And I think the historical context, maybe as a you know junior enlisted person or, or whatever, is that the, the tactics that you use are just, you know, are you going to do an embellishment? Are you going to do, uh, you know, what's the actual tactic that you're going to use from the book, right? There are only a finite number of them. Which one or two are you going to combine to use? As opposed to understanding tactics, the macro level thing of how you play the game of chess with the other human, right? Which, yes, there is a book that has a bunch of materials that you use, but it's more about concepts and constructs that you can deconstruct and use in a variety of different ways and sort of zooming way out to try to use the rules of the game to your advantage in new and novel ways. Do you think that that is the, a takeaway that we want people to start thinking of when we think of tactics going forward in the future through this line of thought? Yeah, and, and at least in tactical theory. If we're talking, you know... An infantry battalion might have a set group of tactics that they prefer and that they practice and it works with their mission. They put that in an SOP. And tactical theory is more like hey, you're reading this at home with a glass of whiskey when you're not working, when you're not at, at uh, not deployed. Um, this is not for in the foxhole. Right. Reading, it's, we're exactly. About. Okay. And you know, Clausewitz said the same thing. Like this is not. This is what you think about before you go. You shouldn't take this with you and use it as a rule book. That's not its, that's not its purpose. Uh, and, you know, it, this is more about, this is what makes sense to me. Maybe something else makes sense to you, the reader, and you develop your own. I, I talked to a Canadian Army officer that read on tactics, and he's like, you know, I disagree with you. I think you need this and this. Yeah, I need to, you, th you need to add these things. And I'm like, you know what? That's great. If that works for you and it makes sense to you, then that's your tactical theory. Go forth and conquer. It, it doesn't have to be mine, but I'm glad that mine helped trigger yours. And is that the point really, yeah. right? Get your, get your mind around the sort of theory of all of the tactics that we're talking about here. And if you can even come back and say, I think you're missing X, Y, Z and A, B and C, you go great victory. Yeah. Okay. I like it. And then, and then if you wouldn't mind, could you introduce in also the principles of war and how did you think about this? Um, so I took a, uh, a very democratic kind of approach to it. I found every list of the principal principles of war I could find and like used it as they were votes and tried to figure out, okay, like everyone talks about mass. Okay. That's important. Let's look at that one closely. Fewer people talk about this or. Uh, you know, the Soviets say economy of force, and they mean one thing, and we talk about it, and we mean another thing. Uh, so that was kind of the start, and that gave me the framework uh, on how to do it, uh, combined with John Boyd's kind of, um, you, know, you know, physical, mental, moral. And that was really just, I'd always been a fan of that. And I'm like, why don't we talk to our Marines about attacking in physical, mental, and moral ways not just physical ways uh and, and so that once i had the framework then i'm i just focus on some case studies like building some evidence uh and then you know write basically taking each chapter as if it was an essay uh by that time in my writing career i had quite a few articles under my belt and i just treated each one like an article uh and then put them together 
and then some of the back matter, to be honest, was uh, the publisher said this needs to be longer to fit our format. So can you give us a couple more chapters? I'm like, okay, I'm just going to riff on stuff that's in my head. No, classic, not enough words. Uh, That's actually (laughs) how... You say that using more words. (laughs) Exactly. And and that's where the operational level chapter came from on on tactics. And uh, uh, I said my piece there. And then one day in my office, I was like, you know what, maybe I could do... Just trying to think about on strategy, like what is that going to look like? And uh, I was Ooh, like, "What?" I, th- I think we just got a tease of a third novel possibly yeah. coming. Yeah. So uh, I was thinking that I was just going to skip the operations, and I'm like, you know what? No one. I was looking at books about a staff, uh, about how staffs work, where staffs come from, what they're supposed to do, and I couldn't find anything. And I, I think I found like one or two articles that are like. This is how a staff should be organized. This is where the idea came from. And I'm like, you know what? Why don't I just make the on make an on operations one in here and talk about staffs? Yeah, and, and one, from the absolute bottom of my heart, thank you for doing that. <laughs> uh, two, this kind of blew my mind a little bit uh, because, you know, we go to school you know, all, all the different levels as, as officers, we go as lieutenants, we go as captains, we go as majors, lieutenant colonel. Uh, so like you just keep going back to school, right? And this was one of those things. And after reading your book, I a little, it doesn't take much for me to question things. We'll just say <laughs> that uh, this is going to be shocking information uh, for yeah, some. All those listeners should be just like, what? Yeah. Whoa. But ironically, I don't think I ever question when they're like, hey, there is a tactical and operational and strategic level of war. And here is the definition. Um, While I feel like I am willing to question almost anything for God knows what reason, I just took that, smiled, nodded and was like, okay, and I'm going to start aligning things there. And you basically wrote a book that said that was not the right way. And you hooked me like from the beginning. I was like, whoa, I I hadn't read a lead in that so quickly challenged my entire way of thinking about something. And I got to be honest, after having read it, I have far more that I agree with than I don't. Um, And I'm just wondering, one, how did you, you just sitting at your computer and you're like, you know what? Nah, no, no operational level. Like, how do you even get there? Uh, Well, I I read, uh, I cite in the book, uh, Alien, uh, a paper that's called uh, How Operational Art Eight Strategy. uh, authors' names are escaping me. They're Australian. Uh, but I read that, and I was like, wow, that's right. And then I also found another paper uh, by William F. Owen about how this focus on the operational level has ta- a lot of people have taken their eyes off tactics as well, not just strategy. Uh-huh. And then, you know, there's a lot of arguments on Twitter about that and <laughs> whether, whether there's an operational level or not. And, you know, I tested out a few ideas on Twitter, had a few flame fights, flame wars, uh, as I tend to do. And I'm like, you know what, there's enough here. I'm going to start putting it together. Um, and then once, once the light bulb went off that wait, the operational art is really about the staff and their staffs at every level, there's no operational level where there's a staff by itself. It's always connected to these other things. Then like everything fell into place. Um, I, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and uh, military Twitter definitely has some opinions. Yes. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I imagine that that was pretty good fodder for uh, kind of like the quick evaluation cycles. Yeah, yeah they don't um, know that they test my ideas 
uh, before I put them on paper, but they do. Isn't that the best type of uh, testing audience, yeah. one that doesn't know they're a testing audience? Exactly. Yes. So, so I can, just so that I don't lose the audience and then Kyle, I'll kick over to you. So quick TLDR, give, give or take, uh, we think of there being a tactical, a operational and strategic level of war and give or take what we were taught in school was at the tactical level are your individual battles. And then at the strategic level is what the USG wants us to do with this war that we're doing, our strategic ends that we are shooting for. And what we were told in school is that the operational level connects those battles with the strategic ends that we are trying to get to. And that those are your three levels. And uh, what Brett postulates in the book is, hey, or what, what I read it as postulating, you can correct me, and it'll help kind of bring the audience along, postulates like, hey, this, is, this has diluted the strategic message and made it harder to get on target from our tactics to the strategic goals and can account for a good amount of the failures we have experienced recently, like say last 25 years. Well, well, it, uh, did I TLDR that well? Yeah, but it, it, like you said, it sounds so neat and tidy, doesn't it? Like it's so easy. You know, you're either yeah. at the tactical or the operational or the strategic level and you just do your connecting. And you know, you know, I even had one guy say like, I agree with your book. I don't think there's an operational level, but it's really easy to teach. So I still teach it. And I'm like, but yes. it's wrong. <laughs> Like, why, why is your metric for what you're teaching that it's easy for Simplicity, you and the students? Yeah, you should yeah. be challenging them. Right. No, why? Yeah. Because you could put it easier on a spreadsheet. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, Kyle's like well, jumping in the business. Like, because you could put well, it on a spreadsheet easier. That's, that's, right. that's why. Yes. I, I want to share a quick story with this, which is I have a, a deep memory of when I got promoted from staff sergeant to warrant officer, I remember thinking to myself like, yeah, baby, I just moved from the tactical to the operational. And I was like, and one day, one day I'm going to be an LDO so I can move up to that strategic level. And just how fundamental this gets inside of all elements of military leadership is this is like law. You know, this is gospel according to the art of, you know, Patton. I don't know, pick like your favorite four-star general or whatever. But to, to come in and think that this is, going to be easy for people to read and go, oh yeah, everything I've known about this SOT Venn diagram is wrong and be accepting is a little crazy, but it's just everywhere. And hearing that some guy wants to teach it because it's simple, that I'm not going to lie, it shocks me in no ways. Like, you know, I am Jack's complete lack of surprise, but at the same token, it's, it's infuriating, right? Yeah. And, and once you notice it, it's everywhere, even with people that have, that are still think, thinking the three levels. Because they will say, oh, well, it's different at the strategic level than it is at the operational and tactical level. And they're lumping those two together without, unconsciously because it makes sense. They're not that different. And it, or they'll say, it's not the strategic level. We're down here at the tactical and operational level. And it's, it, once you notice that those like verbal ticks where somewhere deep down they're, they're not even using the three levels the way they're presented, it, it's everywhere. It's always strategic and yes. other or tactical and other. There's never anything that's operationally yeah. uh, grounded. Almost right? never. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so really kind of in line with your writing, but I'll, I'll give a little bit of my experience here. So I actually get this not tactical, strategic, operational, uh, but I get this quite a bit at work as well of like, hey, so you're doing the cyber stuff. And then we have general officers that need to make decisions. Let's put it in a pretty framework 
that kind of like makes it simpler, you know, like, you know, two of these and one of these, and you can do X number of units of work. Like, let's just do it like that. And I have pushed back and said, Hey, I, I am just not going to do that because by putting this framework together to make it look like this is these configurable little parts, we are boiling things down and making it simple for decision makers. I know why you want me to do this. I am not going to do it because it boils down things that are very complicated into something that is too easy to digest. And then you're making a decision, give or take off completely obfuscated data, which I would argue does, does not meet intent. Well, it's happened to all of us. You get four bullet points and someone's going to make a decision, a multi-million dollar decision on four bullet points of an issue. Yeah, we do that. Too much. Just don't mess up those yeah. bullet points, you know. There is an entire concept uh, when I worked at Google around how much a, a minute or a second of decision making by like senior executives in that company is worth. And it's like every meeting that the CEO of Google goes to, the decisions that they make are worth like $2 million a minute or something like that. And so this, this concept of needing to trim things down uh, into the fastest possible decision making choices, I guess. Uh, there's a very famous book called The Pyramid Principle by Barbara Minto that talks to this it's old McKinsey school of thought in the, in the big four consulting world around exactly that. Like when you're talking to the executives, they just don't have time to actually understand all the stuff that goes into making these decisions. And therefore, there's a lot of arguments that are made to say, pretty please dumb this down so that I can make the biggest or that I can make the most impactful decision based on the most small amount of information you can present to me. Right. Maybe ruining that but a little bit that's why you need a good there's staff. there's risk and reward you, there you need to trust right. your staff. that's why you have that. a good staff um mm-hmm. and if you have a staff that's not going to protect you by making sure that uh they're building the context for you and just feeding you exactly what you need i mean that could lead to some disastrous decisions yeah and that was another like, one uh thank you for writing about the operational level but thank you for writing about staffs because that is Definitely one of the underappreciated uh, roles. And I think you wrote, you wrote another thing that I believe kind of made me rethink things. And you said, essentially, you want to take a senior staff officer and embed them at the tactical level so that the tactical folks can have a better understanding and a more informed kind of decision. And this is this is not the commander because commanders are not necessarily super uber staff officers. And in fact, that Venn diagram maybe does not overlap necessarily. And that kind of, that had me scratching my head a little bit. And I was like, you know, that could work or, or, or not. Where did, where did that idea originate from? And have you heard of anyone trying to employ it? So it's not necessarily a senior staff officer, but just someone who is basically chosen for their staff ability. And okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not senior by not senior by time, senior by experience or understanding. Yeah. And it connected, able to connect with those higher level staffs. And, you know, it came from the Prussian army. That's what they started. Uh, you know, they, in 1806, they got beat by Napoleon. Like they owed him money and they sat down and they say, okay, what is actually going on here? <laughs> Uh, and they look at his staff and, uh, you know, his staff was very personalized, very centralized and uh, chosen. He chose people he wanted in there for as, you know, Napoleon, the sovereign and the general. 
And uh, what some of the Prussian army reformers, which were Skarnhorst and Neidzenau and Clausewitz was the junior one of that group. Uh, he was their clerk. Uh, they're like, we can't depend on a Napoleon to um, join the Prussian army and lead us to victory. Um, because we've got a king and sometimes the king, when he picks his general, he's picking in, you know, based on blood and nobility and the relationship to the crown. Uh, so sometimes we're going to get a good competent officer and other times we're going to get an inbred trust fund baby. So how do we handle that when we don't know what the command, what the commander is going to be, uh, you know, a random card from the deck. And, and their answer was, Amazing how the problems of the 18th century right. haven't changed much. <laughs> so uh, their answer was to institutionalize the staff and surround that guy with professional trained staff officers. So even if he's not great at figuring out what's going on in the battlefield and not great at making decisions, he's at least getting the best information possible. Um, and they did that almost very similar to the way we pick uh, special operations forces. You know, we go uh, special operations command. They have people from all four branches. They pick them based on their ability uh, and, you know, their their temperament for the jobs that they do. Uh, but we don't do that with staffs like the Prussians did. But why not? Why don't we choose that senior first lieutenant who's just like really great on a staff and say, OK, you're going to. Command and staff early, you're going as a captain, and you're going to do some time in the Pentagon and get get your eyes on the joint staff, and then you're going to come back down and you're going to be an OPSO or something like that. Um, and you're, this this is going to be like your B-billet kind of deal. Um, and you know, it just made sense to me. Uh, we, in the U.S. military, we serve very little time as commanders the vast majority of our time we are on staff, but we are trained, selected and educated for command, not necessarily for all the staff work that we're going to do the bulk of our time in our career. And generally promoted based on how you do in right. command. Yeah. Because the promotion system is looking to select commanders, but we're, and we're just, you know, the leftovers are the staff. So as you were writing this, sorry, I'm going to take this in a little bit different direction. I, I will let that one sink in for a minute. Uh, so as you're writing this, I am guessing in your mind, kind of playing this out, you're very much visualizing a kinetic world as you're talking through all of this. Have you revisited or thought in your mind a little bit more on the logical side? As, as a cyber guy, you know, I'm, always, I, I'm, I'm thinking nerd stuff here, right? Uh, have you put any cyber thought in and do you agree with yourself if you kind of like find and replace physical world with logical world um so i think it does apply to cyber but also uh i'm i'm definitely not a cyber guy uh getting a little long in the tooth for that i uh when i run up against cyber stuff i text olivia garrard or i ask my wife who's a software engineer and they try to dumb it down enough for me to understand it and it probably doesn't always work um uh but you know this is a point this is the point of theory to explore questions in different ways and uh help you figure out what what questions you need to explore more and i think that even if you listen to our guests for from episode one the question of does this particular 
thing, right, and across the entire spectrum of warfighting, apply to cyber, is one that we probably oscillated on back and forth a number of times. I think that we are split, even internally. Like, I know, I know in my heart of hearts, whenever someone says, you know, can you use the standard doctrines that we have to fight the cyber war? I go, yes, you absolutely can. And then it's like that angel demon, like poof, poof on the shoulder. Like, no, you've got to use new tactics and new technology. And no one von Klausowitz could have ever considered a router would be a war fighting tool and all this. And then this other person's like, yes, but the theories are still the same. And all the tactics that you would use and the technologies and the ways you consider the battlefield, they're all the same. And so I, I continuously fight that battle. So I, I don't think we have to pick a side on this one. I think that you could say, to your point, the the theory, the practical theory, the, the practice of the theory can be applied to cyber, should be applied to cyber, or at least should be considered as we consider Hashtag that. cyber swamps. Yes, yeah, cyber swamps. That's cyber right. swamps. Yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, realistically, Brett had hundreds, if not thousands of years to go back and look at wars that had happened and kind of give him a, hey, this is how I feel about this. This is how that worked out, et cetera. We don't have hundreds or thousands of cyber years, you know, so we're all kind of new at this and, and you don't have the historicals to look back and say, does this even work or did it work at a different time? And could it possibly hear uh, com- completely different, I think. So I wanted to pull out a couple of quotes because I, I loved a lot of this. I got a couple that I really liked and then one I want to push you on um, or ask why you wrote it like this. So the first couple, which I think are amazing here. So strategy can only be accomplished through tactics. This is why the operational is, is not a thing. While tactics without the purpose provided by strategy is merely random violence. Um, this, this comes right out of Clausewitz. Uh, you guys know I'm a big Clausewitz fan cause you read the book. Um, yep. he sa- he says the only thing is the engagement. So he's, it's not necessarily that tactics is the only thing. Uh, and, and when he uses the term engagement, he is using that as a term that is two forces are clashing in some way, but there's no implied scale to it. It could be a skirmish between two fire teams. It could be entire armies. But the engagement is uh, basically what you turn into, what you need to your currency. He used the the analogy of currency that you're going to turn this in at the, you know, the, the negotiating table at the end of the war. That we won all these battles, so we get to dictate the terms. Um, so yeah, that's it's this his idea of tactics as. Um, how you arrange your forces to beat the other force. And then the idea of strategy is how you use those victories to win the war. It's when you put, when you intersperse something in between those two cycles or logics or activities, whatever you want to call them, you, you break that cycle and you break the logic and then it doesn't work anymore. Uh, his, yeah, one could argue pure random violence probably is a rare way to meet strategic. Uh, yeah, I, and I mean, look at Ukraine right now. They're uh, the Russians are shooting missiles at random cities throughout Ukraine. It's not doing anything. It's just pure random violence because it's not connected to any strategy. It's just making the Ukrainians matter. Yes, and not garnering a lot of popular right. support. Uh, so the next one, and possibly my favorite from both of the books, tripartite depictions of war along tactical operations, strategic progression, impose an artificial linearity of war that is not, indeed cannot be true. It reduces war, strategy, and theory 
to a a series of if-then statements. And the computer nerd in me who could like visualize this actually happening or watching it go like live into a fishbone, probably somebody has a Python script that can just write this into a fishbone for us. Um, That one hit particularly hard. If we win enough tactics, then our operations will be successful. If we win enough operations, our strategy will be successful. If we win enough strategies, our war will be successful. That's what the entire system implies, and that's not how it works. It's it's. Or stop me if you heard this one. There will be six phases to this yeah. operation. Phase one will start here and end here. Phase two will start <laughs> here and end here. If we satisfy this, we move into phase two. If we satisfy this, we move into phase three. Yeah, and the reason why Clausewitz is so important is because that's what everyone was saying when he wrote his book. Uh, everyone was saying, like, if you use the right geometric formations and the right geometric movements, you will win. And he's like, that's not how any of this works. Um, and I, I think there's still some people that believe that. This is just a new version of, you know, do the right ge- battlefield geometry and you win. It's, you know, go up the levels, go up the steps like Mario at the end of the Super Mario Brother levels and you get the flag. Or if your planners were just a little bit better. Like the guys on the ground did an amazing job. I, as the commander, did an amazing job. It was really the planners that failed us. Yeah, or the politicians. That's a popular one. Yes, uh, that is what I that is what I have heard. I, of course, have no comment to make on that. I'm just really happy that we just compared uh, actual military strategic operations to the end of a level of Mario Brothers. So that makes me. Yeah, I am an I'm an elder millennial, so I actually played the first one. There you go. So now is the I've agreed with you thus far, and I have been loving all of this. There was one thing that I was highly skeptical of, and and can't wait to get your feedback on. So this this was on you were talking about uh, motivator hygiene theory, you know, as as one does around the water cooler, and you said concepts from the business world should always be viewed with skepticism when translated to the military realm. But one theory that does apply is administration, which one could argue is the operational discipline most similar to business. So as a guy who is taking an awful lot of commercial concepts and applying them, and actually I would even argue a good amount of the last 20 minutes that we just said fairly closely tracks to why not waterfall and why agile. Um, I am interested in your thoughts as to why, why skepticism with the commercial world. Uh, For a couple reasons. I'm not a business strategist and I'm not a cyber person, although I've soaked up enough that I understand what agile and water shed is. Um, There it, it just war is a fundamentally different social phenomenon than business and commerce uh like we kind of alluded to and Clausewitz said as well it's it is you are trying to create power you're trying to create leverage over your opponent through through purely destructive means and that that paradox makes it something else of its own uh is that's not what you're going to do in the business world even if we were in some weird corporate dystopia where there were wars between corporations and their private armies. That's not the only means they have. Uh, they have other means as well, uh, out-competing someone. Um, so I think I'm not saying that we should never take concepts for the business world, but we should make sure we're careful 
that we're doing that in the right way, um, uh, especially a strategy. Uh, and maybe this will be part of the next book. Uh, business strategy, I see, is something fundamentally very different because it lacks that paradox. It lacks that violence piece that really changes what the phenomenon is on a fundamental level. I want to add in here too, to what you're saying, Brett, you know, I I've sort of tried to make an art out of translating a lot of the military leadership training strategy campaigns, tactics that I had in the military to a civilian job, right. To leadership of, uh, tactical teams. And I I'm using this now in the non-military uh, vernacular, like small tactical teams of people who are designed to get things done on behalf of customers or create content or figure out new pieces of technology in some way, shape or form. And the realm of business being translated into the military, I think a lot of people in the military will bristle at that. They will think like, no, you, you can't possibly think that anybody in the outside world understands what I'm doing. And, and in many ways, I think they're absolutely right, primarily because of the violence level. And you said it really perfectly there. You called it a business dystopian world where it was like corporation versus corporation. I'm thinking of like uh, Shadowrun and um, um, Blade Runner and things like this where, you know, we, good movies are made about this. Reality is terrible when this happens. We'd all be in a terrible place. By very definition, if you flip that coin, I think that a lot of people in the business world will see that same thing too. And they see that like, oh, military strategy and tactics. I think if you have immature folks who have not read up on this much or educated themselves on a variety of managerial leadership concepts, we'll sort of bristle at that too. Like, don't bring your uh, military tactics to our business world. We're, we are a civilized class over here and, and we don't need any of those sorts of things. But I think that you can flip that around. I think that Every single business leader of the last probably 150 years has come out in some way, shape or form from military leadership philosophies. And I think that especially as we talk about the cyber realm, there are interesting things that we see that can come in to augment military strategy. But I think that if we try to think that we're going to take business strategy and apply it wholesale to military strategy, that we're, we're in for a, uh, what's a good way I could describe this? I think that we're going to get outclassed. Yeah. Yeah. By others. I, I think that if you're willing to commit to the violence yeah. that you're always. And I, I think the leadership part make, could make sense because it, you're leading humans. Like humans are humans, whether they're in war or in business. And that's probably where mm -hmm. we can learn the most from each other. And that's what motivator hygiene theory is. Like there are, I don't know if you've seen it in your careers, but in mine, there were some shenanigans with awards and who gets them and, you know inconsistent use of rewards and that really hurts people's morale but if you use those correctly you're going to see benefits on the battlefield or in a corporation world um you know, my wife works for a company with very good benefits and they see a benefit from that because their people are very well rewarded and turn that into you know motivated work well said Hey, gents, we're getting a little bit low on time. So what I'd really like to do is go to our, our last two topics that we have here. So before last topic, but before we get there, Brett, you and I talked offline, uh, you have read MCDP eight, 
And uh, this is going to be difficult to do on the podcast. I have uh, I have a graphic here that I'm going to be talking to. If you have MCDP8, you can go to page one tack 11 and take a look at this graphic. Um, but the general idea of the graphic is it says in the 19th century, there's a Venn diagram of the tactical, operational, and strategic levels of war. And in the 19th century, there's not much overlap between tactical and operational and not a lot between operational and strategic. And there's a line showing information give or take being the thing that is connecting them. And then as you get to the 20th century and the 21st century, that Venn diagram gets more and more and more compressed to the part where you get to the 21st century and strategic, operational, and tactical have an almost complete Venn diagram overlap. If I am interpreting this diagram correctly, the authors are postulating that because of information, that is how you could, or how, how long it takes information to flow is how quickly tactical, operational, and strategic are connected. And Brett, given that you wrote about something very different, and I think in a different way, I wanted to get your take on this and, you know, kind of whether you agree or not. So the thing I like about it is the time line at the bottom where it says 19th century information comes weeks, months, or never. And then 20th century, it says minutes, hours, or days. And 21st century, it says seconds or minutes. That's absolutely true. And it's, I, you know, Clausewitz talks about this too. I was going to say it every time. I'm sorry. I, yeah. Uh, but it all comes but, back to Clausewitz, really. Yeah. So, you know, he says a battle happens and somebody wins and somebody loses. And the losing side, their country, their population, their, in their capital city, they take a hit, like a psychological hit from the fact that their army lost. But in the 19th century, that takes weeks for that. You know, he was pointing out that that's like the strategic effect of the tactical engagement that happened, the outcome. So there's tactical actions and then there's a strategic effect. Um, And he said that, you know, that, that takes weeks for that the flash to bang from the tactical action to the strategic effect to occur. And all this diagram is saying that now that's down to seconds or minutes and they're absolutely correct. Like the, like the Russo Ukraine war, like we can watch it real time, tactical actions happening. And then it's having effect on us on an audience, a strategic effect. Cause then I'm oh, like, that was a funny video. I'm going to go donate to the NAFO boys on Twitter. It's a strategic effect from a, tactical action that occurred seconds or minutes before. Yeah, people were seeing on Facebook yes. Live anti-tank rounds being shot yeah. in Ukraine. Yeah. And we're like, how do we get more of these? Instanta- instantaneous. And in that, yeah. that flash to bang from tactical ag- action to strategic effect is so short right now, which is why it's so important that we get our thinking about strategy and operations and tactics right, because we don't have that buffer anymore that Clausewitz had and Napoleon had where, okay, I've got a week before they find out I lost. Maybe I can pull a rabbit out of my hat. We don't, we don't, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, There are no weeks. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for giving the take on that. And then the thing I want to end on is, so you've written a couple articles for the Marine Corps Association. And I also noticed from Twitter, you have some thoughts on force design. So what, what are your thoughts on kind of how this all relates? Do you think, given what we're trying to do with force design, the the thoughts you've put down in your books and what you've been going through here, do you think that tactics are 
aiding or helping, or do you think we're going in the wrong direction? What, what are I, well, your thoughts? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased because I was at McWill uh, in the run-up before force design was a thing, uh, working on stuff like EABO and in the war games. Uh, I was a war game analyst, so I would write the report after the war game. Uh, and a couple ideas that didn't go anywhere, and a couple ideas that got vacuumed up in the force design. And I still don't know all those guys on that team uh, that were that are still there. So uh, not an unbiased observer of the Force Design 2030 debate. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for disclosing. Um, so I think we're definitely going in the right direction. And uh, the three articles I wrote on uh, reconnaissance strike tactics for the Gazette is really my – it's not like on tactics and on operations where I'm trying to – come up with a framework that works through all time, I'm looking more at, okay, what is going on with the technology that's coming, the, the uh, adversary plans? Like, how do we apply what's in these books to a specific situation, the Marine Corps in the 21st century with the pacing threat of the PRC? Uh, so that, that was pretty much the origin of that. It didn't address the debate uh, force design head on because that hadn't really... The articles hadn't come out when I wrote them. Uh, and then I have to get everything reviewed at the DOD level. So it took a while for that to get published. Um, so I wrote those before the debate really picked up uh, in recent months. Um, but I think it does address some of the problems. And, you know, I mentioned uh, I, I'm not fully on board. I am fully on board with Force Design 2030, but I think there's a couple spots we could do better, uh, like security cooperation. Uh, I have a lot of security cooperation experience. Uh, I was on a mid team in Iraq, military transition team. So I was embedded with an Iraqi army battalion. Uh, and then I was in six Anglico for two years and Anglico has a security cooperation mission. Um, so that's kind of a near and dear to my heart that I think that we can make a lot of money by cooperating with allies and partners. And uh, we should be more deliberate than it, uh, than we are at it. Uh, I think the Army's done a really great job with their security force assistant brigades. Um, those are a good, that's a good direction, but we can't do it at the scale that they have. We just, we can't, we can't copy that. We've got to figure out our own way uh, based on our history, on our strengths and weaknesses, how we can get better at security cooperation. Um, yeah, and like shocking, I'm going to have this advice, but hey, uh, you know, information and cyber might be two great places to start if you are if you are looking to really revolutionize and kind of look to make some improvements in our capability. I think there's two very clear ones. Yeah, and I think it's yeah, I Shock, think it's great that idea. the Anglicos are aligned to the uh, command element. They can work with the MIG. Uh, and get some, bring some of that stuff forward there. It's very easy for that to, for them to connect that. Um, and then the articles, I think really the third one, I think is the most important looking back on these, um, looking at PLA's information that ties warfare and, um, the point, the biggest point I tried to make there is that some of the debates, some of the force design and the anti-force design articles, have this assumption that the enemy is going to use maneuver attrition warfare and we need to do maneuver warfare to beat their attrition warfare. It, me reading the PLA's doctrine, I don't, they're not a pure attrition warfare force. They're not going to do what the Russians are doing with an over-centralized command and control and a 
you know, random violence and hoping that they kill enough Ukrainians that they win in a pure attrition manner the way they're doing, uh, the, the PLA is not going to do it. And if we go into that fight and we're expecting a 20th century industrial attrition based enemy, we're, we're going to have a bad time. All right. So before we get into the end of the episode here, Brett, did you have any current projects or anything that you wanted to plug? Um, I don't have anything I can talk about yet. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, the Uncontested Shores, which is a uh, essay collection on amphibious warfare that I did with Lieutenant Colonel Tim Heck uh, for the Marine Corps University Press. Uh, volume one is available, uh, PDF or in book form for free. So a good price, uh, oh, nice. just, uh, request it through their website. Uh, we are working on a volume two, don't have a t- timeline yet. So that'll be out in the future. Uh, and then I, I, I'd like to plug, uh, the first book I did, which is 21st century Alice. Um, there's no one asked me to come on a podcast about it anymore. Uh, but uh, what I did is I collected all the professional written works that uh, Pete Ellis did in his life, uh, his student papers at the Naval War College, two articles he wrote for the Gazette, and then Advanced Base Operations in Micronesia. Uh, re- they're reprinted in that volume, and I wrote little essays at the front to kind of contextualize them in the modern time. This is why this is important. Um, so I think it's uh, it's kind of a valuable uh, piece of history to have uh, and really applicable to EABO and stand-in forces in the Pacific today. Uh, a lot of his ideas are easily updated. Excellent. I will make sure to drop all of that in the show notes. So dear listeners, if you want to get in on any of that goodness, uh, which I would highly recommend, we will have that in the show notes for you. Kyle, it is that time. Hit us with the hottest of hot takes. So I'm going to go slightly different than I normally do, though I bet this is a refrain that most of our listeners have heard before. If you think that you learned something once and therefore it is now written in the stone of your brain, you're probably not setting yourself up for long-term growth and success. I learned as a young NCO and, and junior enlisted person and all the way up through my officer training that there are three levels of war, the strategic, the operational, the tactical, and I could draw you that Venn diagram from memory whilst heavily inebriated at just about any setting possible. Right. Like that is that is a part of me and it's a part of my leadership and training. Uh, But I want to throw this out there that I constantly seek to figure out ways to subvert the education that I have had in the past. Right. I am always trying to avoid complacency. I'm always trying to figure out if the things that I learned yesterday are still good and especially the things I learned 20 years ago are still good. And that's the thing that I love the most about this line of thinking. And why I'm thankful that Brett has written this book and the books that he has written, because it sort of challenges us all. And I want to just make sure that everybody who's out there thinks about this, just because you've been thought that there's one way to do things, or there's one way to plan, or there's one way to execute, or there's one way to uh, run a campaign. Pretty please, cherries on top, step back and go, I wonder if there's a better way and see if you might be able to help yourself do a little bit of that role-playing game level up in your own brain. Because I think it's important for all of us to continuously level up, to continuously challenge the assumptions, and especially in the cyber world, to think how we can take some of the stuff that used to be outside the box, put it in the box, and some of the stuff that is in the box and throw that the hell away. That's my hot take. Dear listeners, thank you for joining us. You can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. 
That's at USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. Our editor is Sarah Clarkson, and marketing support is provided by Jake Osborne. You can support the cast by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review and accompanying comment. And with that, we are out.